morning. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to preach on politics today. We're in the midst of a presidential election campaign. And we're having trouble with our audio, but here we go. It was another presidential campaign, and the date was April 12, 1959. And the speech was in Indianapolis. The speaker was John F. Kennedy. And for the first time of several times that he quoted it during his campaign, he made this observation. In the Chinese language, the word for crisis is composed of two characters, one representing danger, the other opportunity. Why he? Danger, opportunity, crisis. So how do you deal with crises in your personal life? How do you deal with crises in congregational life? How do you deal with the crisis in America where there's anger and agenda and all manner of, of other issues that has brought division racially and across cultural lines. A few years ago, a preacher pointed out some things from the book of Isaiah. I'm sorry, from, yeah, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 36. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, you might want to turn to that, and we will get to that this morning, eventually. Whenever you try to live a life that is fully dedicated to God, I promise you this, Satan puts a target on your back. When people arise from the waters of baptism, redeemed, refreshed, renewed, reborn, Satan puts a target on their back. He does not want us to succeed. He does not want us to prevail. He wants us to, to fall. He wants us to be ruined. He wants us to go off track. I love the King James Version of this statement in Exodus chapter 14, verse 8. The people of Israel had been delivered, they were being delivered actually, from slavery in Egypt. And as they were being delivered and moving out and heading toward the promised land where they would become the people of God, the Bible says this, and again from the King James, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel, listen, went out with a high hand. That's victorious. That's glorious. That's, that's encouraging. That's boldness. That's joyful. And that's the way God does things, isn't it? When he does things, he does things completely. When he brings us out, he brings us out with a high hand. 800 years pass. The nation of Israel lives in its glory days. And at the point where we're coming to in Isaiah 36, promise you, you'll get there, 800 years have passed, and Israel has started a steep decline. Actually, the people of God have started a deep decline. They've divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of ten tribes, 
which at this point, 100 years previous, had basically disintegrated and disappeared as an entity from the world stage. The southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, two tribes, including Jerusalem, is now the group we're focused on. Now, the northern kingdom had fallen, but now the dominant power globally was Assyria. Assyria had conquered nations all around Judah. And they had even conquered 36 fortified towns in Judah. And Judah's future was totally threatened. Sennacherib, Sennacherib is a king. I don't like Sennacherib, but I like his name. It's fun to say, Sennacherib. Sennacherib was a bad dude. He had conquered Samaria. He had conquered Israel. He had conquered all these other countries. And now the people of Israel look out and across the hills and the valleys surrounding the walled city of Jerusalem. They see nothing but the armies of Assyria. Friends, we know that when we commit to follow God, Satan is after us. He wants to take you out. Now, let me tell you about the king that just preceded Hezekiah, and then we'll get back to Hezekiah and we'll stay there. Hezekiah's predecessor, king, was King Ahaz. I don't know anybody who has named their kids Hezekiah. We have Amos, we have Obadiah in our church. We don't have any Hezekiah, and we certainly don't have any Ahaz. And I promise you, if you're going to choose one of them, name your kid Hezekiah, not Ahaz. Ahaz was the worst dude ever. He was the worst king. He brought more terror and treachery in his 16-year raid to Judah than anybody else ever had or before or since. He instituted false gods and worship of false deities and idols and, and sacrificed high places and all of those things. Ahaz even offered his own son as a sacrifice to a false idol. He packed more evil into Judah than anybody. At this point, there were only a handful, a remnant of people who were trying to follow God fully. There was darkness in the land when Ahaz died and his son Hezekiah came to the throne. Nothing good was happening. Thankfully, Hezekiah was the exact opposite of his father. He was a godly man. He was a righteous man. Hezekiah took great steps. He burned the false gods. He knocked down all the idols in the high places. He dealt with rampant homosexual and sodomy. He went with the house of God, and he went in and restored the cleansing of the temple of the Lord and cleared out all the trash, all the idols that had been piled up as junk in the Lord's temple. Under Hezekiah's reign, through the powerful preaching of Isaiah, the prophet, a great revival broke out, and things were finally looking good in Judah. But isn't that when Satan strikes? Isn't that when he invades? Isn't that where he tries to find his weakness? The Assyrian king and his army threaten it all. And so they use Satan's oldest tactic in the book. Satan is not very creative. He's not very clever. His biggest tactic and his best tactic started in the Garden of Eden, and it continued to Ahab, it continued Ahaz, it continued to Hezekiah's people, and it continues to us today. And the tactic is lies. Lies. Friends, we know that Satan's weapon is lies. He is the father of lies. 
The first lie he told Judah was, God has ordered all their troubles on them. That was a lie. He said, God is angry and he's judging you. Nothing of the kind. His second lie was, the Lord himself told me to come against this country and destroy it, Isaiah 36. And then, again, another lie. You may wonder if God's putting all these troubles on you because he has something in for you. Maybe he's punishing you for your sin. But think about Job. Job was a righteous man, hadn't done anything good, honored God, and Satan came along to try to weaken Job's witness and try to destroy and bring him to recant against God. Listen, the, the idea that God has it in for you is a lie. It comes from hell itself, and it smells like smoke. Don't believe it. Listen to what the Bible does say from Romans and Isaiah. While we were enemies of God, Messiah Jesus died on the cross for our sins. If when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we're healed, Isaiah said. And Romans reminds us in chapter 5, verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. God has not issued some edict causing your crisis. In every situation, we are blessed with amazing amounts of God's amazing grace. In your troubles, trust him. He will give you opportunities. Trouble, opportunity, crisis. Third lie he told was in Isaiah 36. Do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Again, all these are lies. Listen, he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus. Listen. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Listen, the one who is greater in you is greater than the one who is against you in the world. Listen, no weapon fashioned against you will prosper. Listen, if God is for us, who can be against us? Listen to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. When you seek God's kingdom and righteousness first, all these things will be added to you. Final scoreboard tells the story. Holy Spirit, everything. Satan, zero. When faced with a crisis, first remember who your enemy is. You got to know who you're fighting. You got to know why you're fighting. Your enemy, listen, ladies, your enemy is not your husband. Guys, your enemy is not your wife. Parents, your enemy is not your errant child. Listen, your dad, your mom, your boss, your employee, your competitor, your neighbor, your minister, your elder, your group leader, they are not your enemies. Your enemy is the infernal enemy, Satan, the father of lies. Remember who your enemy is. And secondly, remember in a crisis who you are. You are a child of the king. Not just a king, the king of all kings. If you put your trust in him, 
completely. You repent, turn away as best you know how to do from your sinful ways. Confess him as the Lord, master of your life. Obey him in biblical baptism and rise from that immersion to a newness of life. And determined to follow him, you are a child of the king. He will get you safely across to the other shore. I remember as a boy when I was out playing with some of my buds or riding bicycles around and terrorizing our small town. <laughs> You're not laughing. Okay. I remember my mother saying, David, be home before dark. Jesus will get you home safe before dark. He fights your battles for you. A child of the king. So, here we go. Isaiah chapter 36. Are you ready? We're actually going to look at it. Verse 4 is where we're going to start. Now, when faced with a crisis, we see the representatives meet. The representative Sennacherib, the commander of the troops, meets with Hezekiah's people. And he lays out their helpless position. The field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. Does this sound like politicians in a campaign? On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? I love verse 8. Come and make a deal with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you could just put riders on them. Think about that. This was a true crisis. This was a definite danger. From a military standpoint, it was impossible for Judah. They didn't have the troops. They didn't have the horses. They didn't have the weapons. They didn't have the motivation. But they did have the big picture when Hezekiah led them to it. Listen to some more Bible promises from the Gospels and from the prophet Zephaniah. What is possible to humans is possible with God. God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. We can achieve it not by power or might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. If anybody in the New Testament had any crises, I think it was the Apostle Paul, one after another after another, dangers here, dangers there, imprisonments here, imprisonments there, rejection here and there, threats to his life here and there, if anybody had crisis, it was Paul, and he said, when I am weak, then I am strong. And finally, Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world, against the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And whoever humbles himself, Jesus said in Matthew 23, will be exalted. So next, when you are faced with a crisis, remember, the Lord has equipped you. So equip me. What weapons do I have? What kind of concealed carry is there for me against the crisis I'm dealing with? Isaiah 37, verse 14. Are you there? Remember, when Hezekiah received a letter, it was not in nice folded stationery in a nice sealed envelope from Hallmark. It was on a 
scroll. When Hezekiah receives a letter from the messengers, he read it. He went up into the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heaven and the earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these peoples and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. But now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that the kingdoms of earth may know that you alone are Lord. God, deliver us from lies. Deliver us from jealousy. Deliver us from pride. Deliver us from disunity. Deliver us from anger. Deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Your awesomely powerful weapon is prayer. Sharpen it. Draw it out. Get comfortable with it. Be familiar with it. Use it. When you're faced with a crisis, remember the Lord will fight for you. Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you've heard, these words with which your underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, I'm going to put a spirit. This is what God's saying through Isaiah. This is what God's saying to the king. Listen, I'm going to put a spirit in him, Sennacherib, so that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with a sword. Now down to verse 33. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. Don't listen to what, God, what people say. Listen to what God says. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield and build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and the sake of my servant David. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all these bodies on the ground. Danger defeated. God delivers his own. Crisis over. Why doesn't God do that for us now? Is it always that simple? Will God speak to me directly? Will he give me specific promises? Will he make drastic measures to make things work out? Will he destroy the enemy instantly? I know you know the answers to those questions as well as I do. God doesn't always do the same things in the same circumstances and the same ways. But his will and his wisdom is always best. Always. The key piece here is to trust. His thoughts are greater than ours. His ways are higher than ours. The key piece is trust. Remember? Remember? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. So don't miss the point here. When Hezekiah received the threatening letter from the Assyrian king, he went up to the house of the Lord, he spread it out before the Lord, and he prayed. And God heard his prayer and gave his promise through his prophet Isaiah. He rescued, he delivered his people. Let me tell you about somebody else, not Hezekiah. We're moving forward a bunch of years. Let me tell you about a guy named Frank. Frank was born in Europe. His dad was a wealthy landowner. He was a successful cloth merchant in Italy. His mom was a gorgeous French woman. Frank was spoiled early in his life, indulging in fine foods and good wine. And in his privileged childhood, he learned what others did not learn so well, and that is he learned archery, he learned wrestling, and he learned horsemanship. By age 14, though, he left home as a rebellious teenager. He often drank to excess, he often broke the law, and he often partied big time. But the problem was he was also charming, and people liked him. He was expected to follow in his dad's successful textile business, but that was so boring for him. Frank didn't want that. Frank wanted to be a superhero. Have you ever thought that? I have dreamed that I could fly. I've dreamed that. Thank God I never dreamed I would crash because I probably wouldn't have woke up. Uh, I, I would love to be a superhero. Frank wanted to be a superhero. Back in his day, the superheroes were the knights of old. Pretty soon his territory was invaded and there was a war going on. And Frank eagerly signed up for the cavalry. In the heat of a battle, on the bloody battlefield, he and his men were overtaken by superior numbers of troops. And so he was captured, as well as a few of his friends. When they, when they found Frank, they saw he had all these astonishingly gorgeous clothes as his uh, under armor. Some of you get that. On top, he had a beautiful new suit of armor, so they knew he was a man of means. Expecting a great ransom, they threw him into a dank cell, began to negotiate for his release and a huge ransom. The negotiation took almost a year. Finally, it was agreed upon, and Frank was released, and he went home. But he was a different man than he was when he had left. He was a battle-scarred warrior. So many soldiers are different when they come home, and they didn't realize it was going to happen any more than Frank did. In his early 20s, there he was, and he began searching and pursuing and turning to God. He was free, and he, he started going around praying and helping lepers and, and seeking some answers. He thought he heard the voice of Jesus telling him to rebuild the church and himself to live a life of simplicity, modesty. Frank obeyed. 
He devoted himself fully to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was such a strange, unique thing in that day and time. He drew a number of followers. The church itself was rich and materialistic, and that really, really bothered Frank. Then comes another defining crisis. To try to help fund the rebuilding of a church building, he sold an expensive bolt of fabric from his father's shop. To seal the deal, he also threw in his father's horse, and his father was ticked. Can you imagine? I want you to, I want to sell you this, but I'll, I'll throw in this tractor to go along with all this other stuff. His dad brought him, dragged him before the, the lead elder of the church in their community. The elder said, Frank, you've got to, you've got to give the money back to your father. You, you, you've just got to do that. Frank's reaction was instant and extraordinary. He stripped off the expensive clothes that he had that was for, for, from his dad, gave his dad the money, and declared that henceforth he only had one father, and that was the Father in heaven. And he left. Thankfully, the bishop gave him a, a rugged cloak to wear, just kind of a heavy fabric garment, and that's all he had, no money, and he left on his own quest first people he ran into was a band of thieves. They were treacherous. They beat him. They abused him. But Frank somehow saw that as a, as a refining moment. And he was renewed in his quest to live simply and to bring the church back to what it ought to be. So, with incredible charisma, he soon began preaching throughout his home region. And they, people listened and gathered in large crowds, and they decided to follow him and his mission. Why? He was preaching about a relationship with Christ, not just all this church with all of its trappings of wealth and luxury and, and formality. He wanted to have people have a relationship with Jesus. He had seen how far the church had degenerated from its biblical foundations and was beginning his own restoration movement to bring vitality back to the church calling people to a dynamic faith relationship personally with Christ, one they could understand and one they eagerly embraced. That was exciting. He was soon preaching in five villages a day. What he was preaching was called the gospel. Some people saw him as a madman. Some saw him as a fool. Others saw him as one of the greatest examples of trying to follow Jesus that they had ever seen. It was his lifestyle and his mission. His followers became known as Franciscans. Francis died October 3rd, 1226, at the age of 44, in his home of Assisi, Italy. His life was expended working to restore spiritual vitality to a culturally relevant but totally empty church. It was a good investment of his life, indeed. Certain trouble, opportunity. Remember those two characters that come together. That word opportunity can also mean a change of direction, 
that may be involved as well. Remember, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Hezekiah went from crisis to commitment to confidence and to victory. Frank went from crisis to commitment to confidence to victory. You too can go from crisis to commitment to confidence to victory because God will fight your battles for you. In just a second, I'm going to ask you to take a look at Frank's famous prayer. Perhaps you've seen it before. It's 800 years old. Let's take a look at that. When I first heard of Francis of Assisi, all I saw was a kind of effeminate guy who was just handling the birds and looked kind of goofy and different from everybody else. I didn't know the story of this strong believer. And so when I learned it, I had a fresh look at these words. I'm going to invite you to stand with me right now. All of you, please. Everybody in the house that's able. I want you to take a look at those words, and if you will, from your heart, whether you've heard them before or not, let's pray this prayer together. I invite you to join me. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' strong name.